Huh? You made it to church this morning? Everything's good? It's going to be all right? Well, I'll give you some time to find Joshua chapter 5 this morning. Old Testament. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I think probably everybody has. So um, this message is pretty specific this morning. It's only for people that have ever been disappointed. It's only for people that have ever had news they didn't want or didn't expect to get. It's only for people that have faced hard circumstances. It's only for people that have suffered loss. It's only for people that expected something of God that they didn't get. Anybody here this morning? And I'll set the, the scripture up for you so that you don't have to read all of Joshua to get it. But if you're unfamiliar with the story, Joshua is one of the initial spies that got sent by Moses to scout out the, the given or the, the promised land God wanted to go into. Unfortunately, 10 of the 12 gave a bad report, and the people decided we're not going to go in. And it was only Joshua and Caleb. So what ensued after that was 40 years of them wandering around, moving from spot to spot that God would say, follow me, and he'd make himself look like a, a pillar of cloud and he'd move someplace and stop and they'd set up camp. And sometimes they'd stay there for a week, sometimes they'd stay there just for a couple of days and then he'd say, we're moving again. And, and he wasn't trying to torment them. What he was trying to do is get them to trust him. And maybe you haven't had that experience, but I've had that experience that God doesn't just give us everything that we want. There are many times that he uses experiences to get us to trust him because he is fully capable of answering all of our needs, but sometimes he doesn't give us what we want because it's not what we need. And sometimes it doesn't give us what we want because we're not mature enough to handle it at the time. And sometimes he doesn't give us what we want because it's not what he's prepared. In fact, it's contingent on somebody else. So there's a lot of factors. It's like playing chess. And here we find that Joseph is now, after... 40 years of wandering, God has been supplying. They've been eating, uh, I always call it frosted flakes, it's manna. It says it was sweet and it looked like a little round flake and it was sweet and, and it was easy for them to gather up and eat. And God tells him, get the people ready because we're going into the promised land and I'm not providing any more manna. You're going to start eating off the crops of the promised land. And so here Joshua finds this place where he's the leader. He's expected to know what to do. And God's provision is dried up on purpose. They haven't done anything wrong. It's just God saying, that season is done. It's time for you to move into something new. Time for you to move into what I promised a long time ago, but you were too afraid to go. And the problem is, even though Joshua at the time, years ago, said, let's go up and do it. God is surely able now he's the leader, and he's like, I need to pray about this because I don't know what people are going to say. 
And so if you'll join me in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, here's what happens. It says, it comes to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he could look across the river and see this large city, that he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Now, this is interesting. If you were out praying and just kind of asking God questions, and you looked up and saw a guy with a sword drawn in his hand, would you do what Joshua did? Would you walk up to him? But it said that Joshua sees him, and Joshua actually goes up to him. And he asks an important question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And it's an interesting response, no. Well, I asked you two questions. Are you for us <laughs> or are you for our adversaries? No. Isn't it irritating when God does that? And maybe he didn't say no, but maybe you've been asking and you get no answer. Maybe you're asking the wrong question. Maybe you want the wrong response. You see, sometimes I believe we go to God with preconceived ideas. I'm going to ask him and he's going to say. Because it means that you're really not asking, you're actually demanding. Because if I ask, then there's always somebody else's response, right? And we do this a lot. We ask questions that we already presuppose the answer. You go to somebody and you say, can I ask you a favor? And you're asking that because you feel like if you ask them, they're going to say yes. Because you'd be kind of put out if you said, can I ask you a favor? They say no. You'd say something like this. You don't even know what I'm going to ask yet. And they're going to say, I know, no. That'd be hurtful. You'd think, what's the problem? Because you just assume that they should say yes because you asked them to do a favor for you. Here we have Joshua trying to figure out what's going on. He sees something he's never seen before. This guy appears, and he gets this weird question. He says, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So think about this. This is the head dude, the commander of the armies of the Lord. And before you uh, kind of brush by that, just understand that this is not some long flowing hair, golden robed woman standing in a robe uh, that looks all beautiful. This is a guy that looks like a warrior, right? He sees a man holding a sword. We have to remember that God's armies, the heavenlies, are fighting for us, right? They're not just sitting up there, hanging out, having a great time, singing, combing their hair. In most of the Old Testament, they're referred to as the host of heaven, which means in battle array, which means an army. And here's this man that says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and guess what? I have now come. Joshua does what Joshua should do, falls on his face, and he worships, and he said, what does the Lord say to my servant? 
Now, have you ever had that place where you felt like you were confused, you feel like you didn't know what to ask, or you, or you knew what you were supposed to do, but you were scared? The greatest response that you can give, instead of demanding your way, getting frustrated and tired and emotional, is how about we just say, Lord, whatever you say for your servant. If you're really for me, if you really love me, and if you're fighting on my behalf, then whatever you choose... Let it be for me. That's a tough place to be. That's a, that's a mature, that's a sold-out place to be, and it's hard for us because we want to determine our outcomes. We want to be able to determine what's going to happen so that, but listen, the more in control you try to be, the more out of control your life is going to be. The more you try to control it, the less control you'll have because you don't live by yourself. If you were the only person on the planet, that might work. And then, when things go wrong, who are you going to blame? God. But since we live with other people, and since there are forces at work in our world that we cannot control, like Melissa said, the weather. If you get freaked out and frustrated by the weather, realize that you can't control it. If you don't like rain, move. Because you can't fix it. Right? You got to move someplace where you get more of it or that it changes more often. I was watching a show the other day and it was in Mississippi and they're like, hey, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. I'm thinking that doesn't work in Longview. If you don't like the weather, you got to wait five months. You can't always tell how people are going to respond to you. People don't always do the right thing. People don't always think the right thoughts. People don't always have your perspective. And here's an, amb an, an, an ambassador from God sent to Joshua, and Joshua thinks in human terms. Here's a guy with a sword. Are, are you for me or are you for them? Have you shown up to kill me to defend Jericho, or have you shown up for me to help me defeat Jericho? And he says, no, I'm not here for either of that. Then why are you here? And, and Joshua falls on his face, begins to worship. What have you got to say to me? What do you say? What does the Lord say to his servant? And the command of the Lord's army says to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Listen, what a great opportunity for us that when we don't know what to do, when all the things seem contradictory, what we should do is ask for clarification. Are you for me or are you for them? No. And now I'm even more confused. You just tell me what you need to tell me. I'm your servant. I'll do what you tell me to do. And look at what the guy tells him to do. He doesn't say, hey, I have a pretty organized battle plan here for you. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to purge sin out of the camp. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to make preparations. You know what he first says? Remember that you're on holy ground. That when you're in God's presence, you're on holy ground. And he tells him, take your shoes off. And to me, 
there's lots to study and there's lots to infer from this, but listen, this is what I believe in my grassroots simple thinking. Moses had the same situation with God when God revealed himself to him and he says, take the sandals off your feet, you're standing on holy ground. God is not opposed to shoes, right? But I believe he wants nothing between you and him. Sandals are always man-made things, and there are many man-made things between us and God. And I think he wants us to feel the earth that he created under our feet and realize he is God, and that if he can create the sand and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the lakes and the rivers and the crystal blue skies, then he can handle your problem too. So take your sandals off. And Joshua obeyed. Joshua did so. And it's interesting. That's how chapter 5 stops. He did as he was told. And then chapter 6 starts. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Look at Jericho knew that Israel was coming. They saw them just like Joshua saw Jericho. And none of them went out and none of them came in. They had it completely locked down. They realized these guys are coming. And listen, they had already heard the exploits of what the Israelites had done before they had come and how God had brought them out of Egypt and how God had brought them through the Red Sea and how they had dealt with several kings before they ever got here. And fear was already in these people's hearts because God had placed it there. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now look at All he could see was a city that was going to be hard to get into. That's what he sees with his natural eyes. They are locked down. They are in defensive mode. And yet God says, Look, I've already given them into your hand. That's probably not what he saw. Just like when you see things, it's probably not what you see when God says, I've already brought the provision. I've already done what you've asked. I've already sending my healing. I'm already working on the problem. And you look and you say, it doesn't look like you're working on the problem. Everything still looks the same. I still feel the same. I'm still worried. But I'm here to tell you that just because you see something doesn't mean that's what it is. Because God saw something completely different. I've already given it into your hand. It's already yours. In fact, I think God would have said, I already had it in your hand 40 years ago, you morons. But you wouldn't take it. And God says, I've got some great battle plans for you. You're going to march around the city All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day, you'll march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpet, 
It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now listen, that is a stupid battle plan. That is not how you get people to open the gates of the city. <laughs> that is not how you win wars. Because we go on to see in just a little bit that they say even more. It's like, you're going to get everybody to march. You're going to get the ram's horn priest players out in the front, worshiping as you go, and nobody's going to say a word. You're just going to walk around the building one time, and then you're going to go back to camp. And in the morning, you're going to get up and walk around the building, and then you're going to go back to camp. But on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. And then when I say, the priests are going to give a long blast so that you know it's not just a pause. It's a long blast on the ram's horn. And you don't have to do anything but walk into the city because I'm going to make the city fall down flat. Now, that all sounds great, but they'd never done it before. Imagine being Joshua and explaining this to a million people. Saw this guy in the desert, and he told me what we're supposed to do. You see that big fortified city, everybody's all locked down? I've got the plan. We're going to walk around it. And we're going to have the priest out front, and they're going to play some music. Awesome. Okay, what's next? And then we're going to go home. And then tomorrow, we're going to do that again. And on the third day, we're going to do it again. And on the fourth day, we're going to do it again. And on the fifth day, we're going to... See, some of you by now, you're already tired of the story. You would have already quit. And you can shake your head maybe yes or no, but we usually don't lack the discipline to keep doing the same thing that doesn't make sense again and again and again and again, even though God says it. And see, that's the rub. God said it, and Joshua decided, whatever you say, I'm your servant. I'll do it. So you say to go and march, it sounds ridiculous to me, but and we don't even get to say anything. We don't even get to try and intimidate them and yell things at them and make them scared. Nope. You just walk around and the rams are going to play, or the, they're gonna, the priests are going to play the ram's horn, play this worship music, and we're going to walk around the city. Now here's the problem with all that. All of us have stuff built into us that makes us weak. And I'm not talking about flesh and blood. I'm talking about our wiring. And the hard part of our faith is that whatever is in us, when pressure comes, it gets released. When the hard times come and God doesn't show up fast enough and He doesn't seem to be answering your prayers, we find out what's really on the inside of us. And I just want you to see this very simple illustration this morning. 
I have just a pitcher of just some normal water, that wonderful silica-based water right here out of the Longview tap. Now, how many of you are willing to have enough faith to believe that if I soak this washcloth in water, it will be saturated with water? You have that faith today? See, can you, I don't know if you can see that way back there. That's because you sit in the back, but it's dripping water. It's funny that if I put it in water, it doesn't drip pop or lead. Whatever we're saturated with, whatever we've soaked up, pretty soon it's going to come out. And then when we add a little bit of pressure, guess what happens? Water comes out. What are you soaking in? And what you can't see, because you're so far away, is that even when I was trying to be careful, there's now water all over the pulpit. And what we don't understand is that whatever we're soaking in, when pressure is applied, it leaks out on others, wherever we go. And when you're on the job and the pressure's on, you leak. And when you're in your marriage and the pressure's on, you leak. And whatever's in you comes out. And that might be anger, that might be criticism, that might be lack of faith, that might be, I don't know. But here's what I would hope that we can change our pattern to, that we learn to worship anyway. Even when it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense to walk around a city and worship when you're trying to destroy it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you don't even say anything and you're not even going to use any weapons. All the men of war, look at that, he actually said that, all the men of war just walk around and follow the priests that are playing the music. But you know what he was doing? He was soaking them day by day. You just keep trusting me. Day by day. The first day, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. Because if it was me, by about day five, I'd be thinking, there should be, we should be seeing some cracks. <laughs> we should start feeling like maybe the earth's moving a little bit, right? This, if he's going to make this wall come down, come on now, we got to get something, something's. Now, here's the problem with all this. It had nothing to do with them walking and everything to do with them walking. God didn't need them to walk around to squash the building. He could have just went and squashed it. He could have killed them all from the inside by himself. But he was getting them to learn to trust him by this unusual act because this is not how you make war. You don't worship your way through warfare unless you're a child of God. 
And he wants us to quit soaking ourselves in our own self-pity, in our own criticism, and in our anger and our stuff. And you know what he wants? That when the pressure comes, wouldn't it be nice that worship came out of us? When we got squeezed, even when you don't feel it, because I can guarantee you they didn't feel like worshiping out there on the eve of watching a city fall. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to fight. They wanted to probably do anything else. Now think about this, because in my mind, this puts them in a terrible spot. These are thick walls, and it's not like they didn't have defense. As they walk around, what's to keep guys from the top side shooting arrows at them? and just picking them off one by one for seven days. What's to keep that from happening? What's to keep them from hurling down large rocks, pouring out boiling oil? What keeps them from doing all of that? God. God had already put such fear in them that that city was not even prepared to fight. They were just locked down. And there's times where we want to fight, and what we should be doing is just obeying God. God. And I've been there and you've been there. Come on, you don't look so religious to me this morning. You've been there. When you get up and for whatever reason, you just want to fight. And you're going to find somebody that you're going to engage in that combat, whether it's words or your attitude or something, it's your spouse, it's your boss, it's a coworker. They didn't do anything wrong, but you're itching for a fight. Something in you is riled up and you're ready to fight. But guess what? Whatever you're soaking in, it's coming out. Some of it's religion. Some of it's bad habits. Every time the pressure comes on, you go back to the bottle. Every time the pressure's on, you reach for the pills. Every time the pressure's on, you reach for the porn. Every time the pressure's on, you reach for the phone. Every time the pressure's on, you call out to mama. Every time the pressure's on, you cheat, you lie. Whatever's inside of you, it leaks out and it's leaking out around you everybody's seeing it and i think that's why god said you guys just watch and keep your mouth shut because i can tell you what after about a half a day of walking around that city i've been with soldiers this is stupid this is the dumbest how do i get out of this outfit how do we there's got to be that guy joshua this is not how we fight wars we got to find somebody else this is stupid. What do we even got our weapons for? You think about day three? What do you think that's going to start sounding like? Day four? Come on. You guys go ahead. I, I'm, I'm staying in camp. If this is what we're doing, if this is the plan, go for it. How many of us, when God tells us what we should do, we come up with an alternate plan? And when the pressure gets applied, worship doesn't come out. Griping comes out. Complaining comes out. Criticism comes out. Critical tongues come out. Doubt, fear, jealousy, all of that stuff that's in us. And I'm telling you, we have to learn, even, even if we don't feel like it, we have to learn to get enough praise in us that we learn to worship anyway. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you a Christian. 
See, that's the problem. Our human nature says, well, this is, this is the hor most horrible time that I would ever want to worship, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I feel horrible. Well, great, then just sit there and feel horrible and leak that all over everybody and make everybody else miserable too. I'll tell you what, worship is our warfare. Worship is how we get through things. Worship is what breaks walls down. Worship breaks the walls down in us, first of all, because that's what allows us to get saturated, because whatever we're used to saturating ourselves in, we've got to break through that mess that when those times come, we've got to learn to worship our way through it, even when it feels like we want to fight, we want to give up, we want to complain, we want to back away, we want to just do anything else. What we need to do is give God worship because He is God. And he is in control of the situation. Remember, I tell that's the problem. We hate being out of control. But what happens when he tells you, you just wait? Sometimes I believe it's not even because it's a timing issue. He wants to see if you're even going to wait. Are you going to trust me? I think about Lazarus being buried three days, and they're, they're all worried. Oh, it's been three days. It could have been three years. It could have been one day, but it said that Jesus waited on purpose. You know why? Because what was in Mary came out. If you had been here, Lord, we're not, we can't pull the stone away. He's going to stink. Doubt. Fear. What if Jesus isn't enough? What if God can't provide? What if? Whatever we soak in. And here's the hardest part that I'm going to share with you. It, it's and it's not disciplinary. Please believe me. It's just for our well our well being. Just because you have music on doesn't mean you're soaking yourself in worship. Worship means I'm a participant. If I'm just listening, I'm not worshiping. And sometimes true worship requires no music. It's you on your face saying to God, I don't get it, but I'm going to obey. I don't feel like this is a holy place, but I'm going to make it a holy place. I don't understand your timing. I don't understand your plan. But I give you praise anyway. And I'm going to do what you say because you're God, not because I've got to figure it out or you've given me some sign, but because I'm going to soak myself in worship. And so that when the pressure comes, worship comes out. I'll tell you what, people take notice when the worship comes out. Because you can listen to all that positive music all day long, but when you get squeezed, what's really inside you is still going to come out. And I've had those times, times in my life where things have been so tough, and I make a choice, and it feels terrible. I'm just telling you, it feels terrible. But I get on my knees, and I don't even know how to pray, and I worship not because I feel like it, not because I've got a song bubbling up in my heart, 
but because I know it sure beats the alternative of what I could do. I know I can complain. I know I can whine. I know I can rail. I know I can even get bitter about it. I know I could find something else to ease the pressure, but it would not build God in me. And it feels completely wrong. It feels like the wrong thing to do to do nothing, but I'm telling you, worship isn't nothing. Worship is what we've got to do more of. And we're getting ourselves way too engaged with too many things that's not worship, and we're trying everything else. Quit pouring your hearts out on Facebook and pour it out to God and worship. Next time you want to complain, give God praise. Now, it's hard because it requires some discipline. It requires us to change our tactics. But tell me, is it going to make you any better or make the world better when you get this oh me, poor me story? God didn't show up again, and I just thought this was the day, and if pastor would have preached better, if it would have. If you're waiting on me and my preaching to change you, you got some serious waiting to do. You want to put your attention on the God of all the universe? You're in a good place to be. What are you soaking in? Joshua, the son of Nun, verses 6 through 10. He called the priests and he said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, which is the presence of God, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. Now, it's funny that they gave him weapons that they weren't even going to use. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests hearing the seven targets or trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, they advanced and they blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing. You see this? He's just repeating that. They continued blowing the trumpets. They continued blowing the trumpets. And Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. And then you will shout. I don't know what God would have done if people decided to shout early. I don't know what would have happened had they just begun to sing on the fourth day. But I believe God would have said, okay, we're starting over. Cross back over the river. We've got to start this trust game again. You see, sometimes it's not even about the situation. God had given Jericho a long time ago, but he's got to get us in the right spot <laughs> emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. And so if you're just thinking, oh, it's just about coming to church for a little bit, you're going to take a long, long time to see the blessings of God. Coming to church doesn't fix anything. It's the discipline of being in the body, of learning what God has for us. The discipline is the day-to-day, -day, who are you going to be? 
Are you going to do what I tell you to do? Are you going to do it when it doesn't make sense? Are you going to do it when it's inconvenient? Are you going to do it when you might face rejection? Are you going to do it when somebody else told you the exact opposite? Are you going to do it? Here's why we worship anyway. There's three simple things. First of all, it encourages your soul. When you worship, you're calling to mind the promises of God and His unchanging nature. You're choosing to focus your heart, your mind, and your soul on Him above your circumstances. First Samuel talks about this, that David is fearing for his life, but after hearing a group of people plotting to stone him, he responds by encouraging himself in the Lord. He basically begins to sing about the goodness of God. Speaking out who God is, His nature, His faithfulness, gives us the boldness to persevere under the hard times. Being critical doesn't do that. Being a complainer doesn't do that. Whining about it doesn't do that. It just adds extra pressure. The reality is we have to be people that retrain ourselves to realize that whining is not our warfare and worship is our warfare. You want to fight through this thing? Worship your way through it. Think about any Sunday morning that you've ever come in and you felt like, I'm not really ready to be here. Come on now, you know. You came out of duty. You came out of obligation. You came out of guilt. And you've got a choice. I'm going to sit here during these songs because I'm supposed to sit here and good God, how long is this going to take? And invariably on that day, it'll be the music you don't like. Something will go wrong. Somebody will be distracting. Something will happen that just affirms, yep, I shouldn't have been here. Or you choose to worship. You forget about the people to your right and your left, and you get alone with your God. And you realize it's not even about the situation. It's all about you. And that he's your very present help in times of trouble. That he's your anointing. That he's your savior. And he's your healer. And he's your prince of peace. And he's your counselor. And he's the one that sticks closer than a brother. Or you can sit there and soak in your own bitterness, saying, yep, that's exactly why I don't go to church. Nothing ever changes. It's a choice you've got to make. But when we choose to worship, especially when it doesn't make sense, it will encourage our soul. And I think about David, who was in many, many cases of hard times, and some of the greatest psalms we ever read came out of those times. It wasn't the psalms that came out during the incredible times. It was when he was being chased and hunted and threatened and pressured that all of a sudden the depth of his soul came out, and we get some of those beautiful words of who God is and how he shows up. Secondly, it's prophetic. It's not puffetic, it's prophetic. Worship reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus, how he helps us, and we can express our trust in God. The psalmist says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Think about that. When the pressure is coming on, he says, I will see the goodness of God. Now, I'm going to talk to some of you out there real quick about this, and, and it's mainly women that do this. When you want to lapse into what we call foreboding joy, when things are going good, but you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, (laughs) 
worship. That foreboding joy robs you of the joy you already have. It robs you of the moment where things are good because you're only worried about what happens when it's not or what might happen, what could, what should, what. You've got to stop with the foreboding joy and just embrace the moment. Nothing can be good forever. It's just the way of our lives. But God is the same. And you can worship Him and draw strength from Him even when it feels wrong. Can you find yourself soaking in the place where you say, I will see the goodness of the Lord? Or is that foreboding joy take sooner or later? Yep, something's going to happen. I don't know what will happen if I don't think I could live. If I don't know what I'd do if. What happens if? How about we declare over our lives and the lives of others that we will see the goodness of God. Hmm? I'm going to see the goodness of God. It sucks right now, but I'm going to see the goodness of God. I'm going to see Him break through. I'm going to be free. I'm going to get past this. God is with me despite how I feel. Those are things you can do when you're not being a hypocrite and you're not being some positive speaker, you're just being a prophetic person because God has done it time and time and time again. And He'll do it again with you. And lastly, the enemy flees. Most of the time, the enemy is our own doubts and our own fear. The enemy is of our making. The enemy hates when we worship God, our soul, if it's not yielded to Christ, hates it when we worship God. But the true enemy, Satan, he's been trying to get humans to doubt God and place their worship on him all the time. But we have to refuse to allow that fear and that pain to steal our worship of God. God is worthy of our worship regardless of how we feel. Every thought about God that's against who he's revealed himself to be is a lie. And we've all done it. We've all been to that place where we think God doesn't hear or God can't fix this or He just won't, which is even more frustrating. But it's a lie. And I'll tell you my personal opinion why I think we lie to ourselves because we don't want to have to wait on God. And if we can deceive ourselves into believing God's checked out of this, then I take control again, and then I can feel better about how I'm going to work this out. But if I have to rely on Him, and I have to put my trust that my kids will be okay in Him, and that my marriage will be okay in Him, and that my finances will be okay in Him, I feel out of control, and believe me, being out of control like that is a good place to be. But it doesn't mean it feels right. Have you thought about God that is against His character? It's a lie. And we have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us. We submit our feelings and our thoughts to who we know He is, not just how we feel. Right? That's why, again, I say we have to be people that decide to saturate ourselves with worship. Not just on a Sunday. Okay? 
think of this with me. This is, this is not about being at church more. This is about us being Christians every day. If I take this rag and I wring it out where it's not, I, I can't get it completely dry. But if I set it on this board right here and I come back next Sunday, what do you think is going to happen to that rag? You're going to stay wet? What do you think is going to happen over time? going to dry out, right? And part of the problem we're seeing in our modern day world is that people are so dry when they come in, they have no opportunity to give or serve or truly worship because when they come back, they're so dry, they're like a thoroughly dried out sponge that, and every time they're around somebody else, they just suck and draw and draw and draw, and then we go back another week, and guess what happens next Sunday? And you know those people, come on, you know the people, you're thinking about somebody right now, they just feel like they stick a straw in you every time, and you feel like a sports drink Christian, they're just drawing it out of you. But what happens if we saturate ourselves during the week with worship? Real worship, not an overload of sound, but real worship. And then we come back in. And maybe God wants to use our worship on somebody else so they're not so dry. And he applies a little bit of pressure to us. And, and it's not the songs we want to hear that day, but we worship anyway. And we feel like maybe our needs aren't getting met, but we pray anyway. And we give him praise audibly, right? And it inspires the people on your right and your left, and all of a sudden, they get a little bit of soaking as you are pouring out your praise that you've got enough in you to be wrung out. Because there would be no hope for the person that's been left out to dry all week. All you're going to do is draw from the others around you. 